Hello coders, good afternoon, good evening. It is episode 107 of the How to Code Well podcast. And today we're going to be talking about tips for junior web developers. I have 26 of these tips to go through. This is live. And what usually happens when I do a live podcast <laughs> is that um, I I kind of add more to it. Uh, so I don't think we're going to just have 26. We'll probably have a lot more as, as we go through. Before I get into this, though, as I mentioned, this is live. So if anybody's got any comments, questions, suggestions, anything they want to add to this, then please do feel free to put your comments down in the uh, the chat uh, as we go and I'll get to them. If not, of course, you can check out our Discord server. Go to uh, howtocowell.net forward slash Discord to join and further the conversation there as well. Now, before we dive straight in, I said last week that there were some possible plans for the future of this podcast, one of which is is to potentially have some form of book club going on, and the other one is to have um, more guests on. Now, the first one I, I kind of need to touch on a little bit, and that is that the fact that I can't really do what I had planned to do due to copyright law. I can't actually, because what I had planned was to read a book and show the pages of the book on the video. And we would basically read together. I can't do that because of copyright uh, law. Basically, my, in my, my innocence and my naivety, I, uh, I just, I just didn't appreciate that, of course. So, uh, unfortunately, we can't do that. However, I do want to do something around the book club, a book club somehow, but I just need to think about it a little bit more and, um, I'll let you know how that goes. Okay. So let's get straight into this then. Let's get into this. So this talk is about, um, uh, 26 tips for junior developers. And I, I focused this down to junior developers because, in my opinion, a lot of senior developers would already have this down. This would, this would certainly help those coming into the industry or have just started their first role in the industry. These will perhaps talk about some career advice as well, plus some soft skills, uh, not that I like the term soft skills, those kind of skills, as well as the technical skills too. And I haven't picked on any particular programming language or front or, or discipline as your front end or back end. This is very generic for all types of, of web developers. Okay. So before we do, let's just, I have my traditional beer. This is a Jamestown. And uh, very nice and cold. So cheers, everybody. Welcome to episode 107. It is the 24th of June, 2021. Mm. And that is a lovely, lovely beer. Okay, so number one. Okay, imagine you've just started your your new job. So your first ever job in web development. One of the first things you will do as a... One of the first technical things that you will do is that you will set up your machine. You will go, th you will create your local environment. Now, whether you're in a team that is working on a single project or whether you're working on a team that has lots of little projects. So for instance, you could be a, working for a web, uh, a web design or a, a, a web agency. So working on multiple uh, projects or whether you're working on a, a big project and you are part of a team that works on a specific part of that one project. 
regardless of which one, you will be setting up your machine. And the people before you who have been working there for a long time, they would have already set up their machines. And they would have hopefully have created a guide for new developers who come on to follow and create, you know, it was basically a how-to cheat sheet guide where you can you can go through it step-by-step step, setting up your machine, uh, whether they use, I don't know, uh, Docker, whether they use a LAMP stack or a WAMP MAMP stack or however they do it, however they do it, they, they will document that. Also, how to pull down the, the, the assets, the database, that kind of jazz. Now, I must admit, there hasn't really been a project that I've got into where the documentation has been on point. There's always been some hurdle, whether I've read the documentation wrong or whether the the documentation is just lacking. And maybe I've, maybe, um, I don't know, it was written for an operating system that's too old. So Basically, what I'm saying is that I've rarely worked on a project where I can just read the documentation and get everything running straight away. There's always some back and forth between me and another developer to try and get my development environment up to speed. And what would what would happen, perhaps, is that the previous devs, um, they would have hit these issues and they would have probably have been on a very tight time strain, time constraint. And or maybe this would have been an unwritten sort of guide, if you will. Take this as an opportunity to improve the documentation. That's the tip here. Improve the documentation. So if you're reading something and it says, do this and this will happen, if that doesn't happen, then improve the documentation. Um, and if you can't improve the documentation, request to, you know, hopefully, I mean, normally these, this documentation is a collaborative thing, right? So by improving the documentation, you're showing that you are willing and able to help the team as a whole go forward. The other developers who come after you will be, you know, would appreciate this as well. Um, and if there's any documentation that you see that is old and deprecated that doesn't make any sense anymore, update that documentation and say that it's old and deprecated and please follow this new, this, uh, new doc. So do that. That also teaches you how to use their tooling, right? Their tooling. That's an important thing. Okay. Number two. Now this, I, let's just say this isn't really in any order. Okay. This really isn't in any order. I basically threw this together. It's not in any form of order. It's just stuff that I've picked up over the years. So number two is to request meetings. Okay. That, now that sounds a little bit sort of like, oh my gosh, this, this is my first ever web dev job. You know, uh, I shouldn't be the one requesting meetings. I should be the one going to meetings that have been requested by me, right? You know, of me, but. What you want to do is if you, there's going to be a lot of things that you will probably get, you will struggle on as a new dev. And what you want to do is carve out some time between you and someone else to go over those bits, those, those areas. And also talk to, so this is now tip three, talk to testers and tip four is to talk to the product owners. So you can kind of wrap this up into one little tip, I suppose. So you want to, I'll go back. So you want to request the meet, request meetings whenever you feel like you're stuck. And when I say request meetings, meetings sounds very formal. It doesn't have to be a formal thing. It could just be a chat as in 
we ever, we 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 usually do a lot of things remote now, right? Thank you, COVID. So it could be a can I have a chat? You know, through an instant, through a team uh, chat, or through a Zoom chat, or a Slack chat. Can I have a video call? Or you know, do you fancy a chat? That kind of thing. On to those to those testers, to the product owners, to the people who know more about the thing that you're working on. So. When I say talk to testers, you want to understand how the testers or the QA engineers are going to actually test your work. So they might know some some interesting hints that you should know and you would normally pick up as you go. If you can get those quickly, that's great. You know, how do they how how what what automation do they use? What automated tools do they use? Do they use Gherkin? Do they use do they use um, other ways to test your work? Are they just looking at things visually? What account user accounts do they do they play with? Sort of get an insight to their world. Because this shows that you are you you have an appreciation for what they do as well. I mean, you think of it like this: a, a team of people all working for a common goal. Each one of those team members kind of needs to understand what the other team member is doing, and also this will help you in the future when you're stuck on something. You'll go, "Oh yeah, no, I I had a conversation with such and such from QA, and in passing they mentioned this, and so they might know a little bit more about that." So, you know, this is all about building relationships, building relationships amongst you and your team. You are the new person, new new blood on on the team, and it's good to start building as many bridges as possible. So also talk to the product owners. Now, the the, the difference between QA and product owners, and we could Push, put in all sorts of different actors into into this mix, but um, I picked on product owners and testers because they, on paper, they have very different agendas. The testers are testing something, and the product owners own something, right? So you want to you want to discover the the different agendas, the different perspectives. You want to be empathetic on you know the needs of the product owners versus the needs of the QA engineers and. Please do replace QA engineers with anything else or product owners with anything else. Any other team that is influencing what you do. You know, I I have uh, experience with working with charities, for instance, and listening to product owners in the charities space is, is, is fascinating because they always have very unique desires and needs compared to product owners of, say, an e-commerce company, right? Okay, so you want to get an insight to this, and this this incre- increases your knowledge of web development as 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 a whole, which is great. Okay, so number number five, I think we're at now, is get it reviewed. <laughs> what normally happens is is you're given a task, and maybe it's a bug, or maybe it's a, a new feature, and you're building that out, you're developing that out, or you're you're um, you're fixing that if it's a bug, and then. It will come to a point where it needs to get um, it needs to get tested, and then it needs to get uh, deployed. Now, that that's you that's the usual typical overview of of how, how of how that all works. But what you can do in the meantime, in sort of like in the development space, is actually get it reviewed, even if it's from someone who isn't actually working on the project. So you could just say, hey, you know. Uh, I just wrote this code. I don't suppose you could just check it over for me or, Hey, I've just, I've just, um, 
designed this this uh this new landing page i don't suppose you can just check it over um for me could you you know things you you may find are spelling mistakes typos you may find some margin misalignments some some alignments in in various places they may look at it on a different um uh, browser than you are or a different uh screen size that you've got uh, they might look at your code with the knowledge of other code that they're aware of and they may you know give you hints on on how to do things better um so you want to get it reviewed before you get it tested before you get it out to deployment and it's kind of that rinse and repeat cycle um so you do a change you i mean we are leaning very closely to pull requests where you do a pull request and someone someone um reviews your code but it might be that actually you just want to quickly do a screen share with someone and just say look i've just done this can you just can you just can we just rubber duck this together or can we just can we just um look at this screen and and just pick at it a little bit um so don't be afraid of criticism either as a junior dev you 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 want to be seeing sort of constructive criticism you want to be seeing any kind of criticism as a way of improving right you are a junior developer in a team of a lot of senior developers perhaps and so you have a lot to learn okay so we're going to skip number 7 we're going to go straight to number 8 and that is to learn the process now this is learning the process of the company so i i've mentioned there that we have perhaps development then we have uh, QA then we have deployment now you know I've worked in teams where there's various different steps in between those things. You know, it's not just suddenly dev to deploy or dev to QA to deploy. There are, there are other steps in, in between. There are things perhaps that you need to write and there's maybe some admin things that you need to do. There may be some other people that you haven't even seen yet that you need to inform that this is going to happen. So you need to learn how the cogs in this machine work. And this machine is going to be a very different machine to the machine that you perhaps work in later on in your career, right? So every, every job that I've had has a very different process. They may follow the same sort of agile principles, the same sort of methodologies, but they have a very different way of doing things in the sense of maybe they use a different tool to do the auditing. Maybe they have um, someone who is, you know, has wears many hats and therefore, you know, that their, uh, their roles are perhaps a little bit more diluted than, than other teams maybe. So you want to learn how, how the team operates and you want to, you want to try and work with it rather than against it. If you've got any suggestions of how to improve the process, then by all means, let people know, but don't let them know in a sort of a negative way. <laughs> you know, you want to be seen as in, wanting to improve the process if you've got an improvement. Okay, so we're going to go back to number seven, uh, and that is to don't follow cookie cutter tutorials, make your own stuff. Okay, I'm going to take a beer for this because this might be a little bit big. <laughs> don't follow cookie cutter tutorials and make your own stuff so we're now moving more into the learning of uh of web development hmm this is a this is an interesting one because this this kind of leans a little bit on tutorial hell i haven't really been able to formulate this yet 
but I haven't experienced tutorial hell. In fact, I had to, I had to get it explained to me, uh, what tutorial hell was. And, uh, I'm, I'm, I will be doing a video on why I don't think I've ever been in it, but I will, but I, I still need to formulate that right, right. But what I would like to just say at this point is that learning tutorials and, and doing courses where you are literally copying and pasting or just writing exactly the same code as the person who is teaching, um, well, you, you'll just end up with their project. You won't end up with your project. By doing that, that's what I mean by cookie cutter tutorials, because it's just, just a cookie cutter, right? You are, you are creating the same thing as everyone else has done who's watched that tutorial or watched that project. What you want to do, in my opinion, is to make your own stuff, right? So if you, if you have a idea and you don't know how to create that idea, build that idea, develop that idea, as in, you know, code that idea, then think of the components that that idea requires and then learn tutorials around that one component. Don't learn everything under the sun. There is too much of web development to learn. You'll never, ever learn every single thing about web development because it is constantly changing. But if you have a an actual plan, an actual goal, a tangible thing that you want to build, you know, and you can break that up into smaller little things, right? Let's say you wanted to build a portfolio site and we'll get onto portfolios later. Let's say you wanted to build a portfolio site and on the portfolio site, you wanted to build, I don't know, some, I don't know, a carousel of, of, uh, of your work. So learn a project, le go and find a tutorial that will teach you how to build carousels, but, but don't continue on that tutorial until you've done exactly what you just enough of until you you've actually come away with the carousel maybe that um, that project that you you're looking at you that is is a carousel plus something else well forget about the something else cuz you don't care about that at, that at this point in time you don't care about that your end goal is to build something for you so don't get trapped don't get into the tutorial trap now as as you can probably tell i still need to formulate my ideas a little bit better around tutorial hell I, I certainly don't want to come across patronizing or anything, but I don't feel like I have ever been in tutorial hell. I think I've been taught to learn in a specific way through college and university. And again, that's getting into topics that we probably shouldn't be getting into in this episode. But uh, I, I have some, I have some views, shall we say? I need to, I need to formulate those views before we get into that. But what I just want to say here is to don't follow cookie cutter tutorials all the time. And also, you know, try and make your own things. Don't just make every, everybody else's thing, make your own thing. And if, if you come across an issue that you need to resolve, then find a tutorial that will fit that issue or that feature. But if that tutorial waffles on with to anything else, that's the time to stop it because you are, you need to work on your thing. Otherwise you'll never learn how to build anything. <laughs> you'll just be building everything else for that. Everyone else has done. Let's say for instance, um, uh, going back to the carousel thing here. So let's say for instance, you wanted to build a carousel of your, your projects, right? 
and you're looking at a tutorial that is showing you a carousel of images of of things of images you're going to be calling your variables different you're going to be calling your classes different you're going to be calling all sorts of things different tailored to the thing that you're building you're not going to be following to the letter the tutorial because you have your own plan that's what i'm trying to say and it's by divert diverging away from the cookie cutter tutorial you then start following your own path and you start coming up with your own bugs and you start fixing your own bugs that is a skill that is a skill that everybody needs to have and also when you're following cookie cutter tutorials it's very tempting to just copy and paste and i i i highly re don't recommend copying and pasting code when you're new you want to be typing everything out you want to be feeling the keys on your fingers you want to know where the keys are you know, you want to, you want to write this stuff out. I mean, that's going to take ages, but this is a long process. This is a long process. Copying and pasting code is a, is, um, it's not good. It's not good because you, you're not testing yourself. And again, again, we get, we're moving back into the realms of, uh, tutorial hell bit here. But, but, um, when you're, when you're writing code yourself, you, you then have the opportunity. I mean, when I started, when I wrote code myself, when I was looking at tutorials, I would do a lot of things wrong. I would do a lot of things wrong. But then I used the the tutorial as a template and I was able to compare the two, right? I was able to do basically a diff between the two. And by 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 just stopping and comparing and finding out that, yes, actually, um, one of my, uh, I don't know, one of my operators is wrong, or maybe, uh, the equal sign is too close to the variable name or, or whatever is, is wrong. Maybe I've missed a colon here. You won't find that when you copy and paste tutorials. You won't find that when you're copying and pasting code. You'll only get to that when you're actually comparing your code to something else. Um, and that's why I don't recommend copying and pasting, uh, when you're starting out. Because uh, you you need to navigate, you need to create your own path, as I mentioned, and navigate your own bugs, um, and you'll discover things in there that you probably didn't appreciate. You know, if you're copying and pasting a bunch of code that has a, you know, semicolons on the end, or you know, formatted in a certain way, you won't have a level of appreciation for that, right? Okay, let's get off of that subject now, because I I can see myself falling into that sort of uh, the fiery pit of tutorial hell. <laughs> okay, so where are we now? We are on uh, number nine. Yes, number nine is to learn the cost-benefit analysis. What on earth does that mean? Well, this is learning the time spent, the time that you can spend doing dev versus the benefits to the end user, right? And also learning things that, that, that is uh, learning how to do things that is going to make your, you uh, more efficient as a developer as well. Learning automation, learning how, you know, if you're doing the same thing again and again and again, well, actually, you're, the, the cost benefit analysis there is, well, if you were to write a script that does that, maybe it's putting commands in a make file. Maybe it's setting up your, uh, your IDE. So you just have to do a shortcut key and then suddenly you've got a template. That kind of stuff. So you, you want to basic, basically learn 
how I'm not going to use the word cutting corners. You basically want to learn how to make yourself more efficient, because if you're as a junior dev dev, more efficient, then your team is going to be more efficient, which means that um, you are going to be uh, and your team better off for it. Um, And you'll you'll uh, you'll go up the ranks. So if if, for instance, someone was to say, you know, hey, can you search for this? on your IDE and you know the shortcut key, but another developer doesn't know the shortcut key and you get there first. You know what I mean? It's, it's, um, so knowing those things, knowing the benefits of those things is really, really important. And also just sort of talking about the non, the end user perspective. This is your, your end user. So having a level of appreciation of the people who've, who are actually using your tools that you're creating and developing, knowing that your feature that you're creating is actually going to make someone's life a little easier or, or better or help the company go in a direction. You can kind of, when you, when you get quite far in your career, you can kind of identify areas of code that, uh, you, you would like to update as a developer because it's a pain in the ass, but you can kind of identify why there isn't a requirement to update that because it's not going to have any benefit or a very negligible benefit to the end user. So you, you end up with an appreciation for why certain things have happened in the code or why certain things haven't happened in the code. And from a previous point about talking to the, say the product owners and the QA engineers or the business owners or whoever, you know, the other departments, you get a, you get a sense for how the company has progressed to the point you're at at the moment and the emphasis on certain areas of the code um, that they would prefer you to work on instead of other areas of the code. Now, if you're working on code that is, that is very troublesome to uh, to work on. And you can actually say, look, if we spent some time refactoring this, this um, chaotic piece of code, then we would actually save time in the long run because um, we would be able to, I don't know, test it better. We might be able to uh, deploy it faster. It would become less risky. You know, those kind of factors um, then, 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 then come up with a, and this is a, a point somewhere in this list to come up with a proposal for those kind of things. Okay. I think I'm stepping on the toes of the other, other tips. So we'll, we'll swiftly move on. Okay. So number 10 is to be active on social media. Okay. So be active on social media and it's not just hello, you know, look at me kind of stuff. It's, it's, uh, posting links to your portfolio. Again, we'll talk about portfolios. I said, this isn't in a li- any order. Um, so any kind of tutorials that you've seen, any, any podcasts that you've watched, anything that you've learned, shout it out in social media. If you're a Facebook user, put it on a Facebook post. If you're on a Twitter, um, tweet it. You know, if you're a video person like me, then uh, mention it in a video. You know, you you want to be showing that you're you're part of the wider community. But also one thing to be aware of is that it's not all sunshine and rainbows. Uh, (laughs) There are toxic areas of uh, Twitter, Facebook, all sorts of places. There are silly, silly debates 
that's you know is html a programming language is javascript better than blah 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 try and keep away from them focus more about the educational side of things you know so things that you've learned things that other people have learned um try and use social media as a means of sharing tips rather than sharing toxicity and some <laughs> a, t- a tip that i'm trying desperately to uh to adhere to is to try as hard as you can and this is very difficult when you are a content creator to keep away from toxicity and not get involved in toxicity uh you you want to tr- yeah you basically just shut your phone off <laughs> uh, uh yes uh, some things wind me up anyway let's move on to number 11 and that is to go to meetups so meetups outside of work you know to see other developers in your town or your city or even other cities travel to other meetups it's a little bit nerve nerve-wracking to begin with right it's a it's you know you know look <laughs> you're a junior dev and you're going into a room full of people who are probably a lot i mean if you're if let's say for instance this is your first uh first uh three months as a web developer then you're probably one of the few who've just started because a lot of those especially the speakers would probably be there you know they have been there for quite some time so it is very nerve-wracking, but still go to meetups and be involved in conversations. And also try and go to the, um, well, I, I can't say for all meetups, but uh, the meetups that I've been to, there's, there's usually a pub or a bar that you go to uh, afterwards. Go to those and rub the sh- rub shoulders against those who are um, better than you, essentially. Um, because, and listen, and listen to what they get up to at their in their careers. Listen to what they've done, uh, what what tools that they've worked on. Ask questions and do not be afraid of asking silly questions. If you if it makes you feel comfortable, and I've done this, say say that this is perhaps your first time here, or you know I've only been in development for X amount of months or years, uh, and then ask the question. Because then that's showing the other person, you know, where you're coming from. That that kind of jazz. It's also it's also very fun. It's there's also a, a fun element to it, which is which is good. It's a bit tr- uh, a bit tricky these days with COVID and everything because a lot of stuff is remote. That does open the doors. You can you can do um, you can go to meetups all over the world now, can't you? Because you can you can do zooms all over the place. And whether you've got your camera on or not, or whether you're on mute or not, you can just listen to it like a podcast which is live. <laughs> we'll get on to podcasts in a minute. Okay, so number 12, this is more of a technical thing. So number 12, just get a swig of the beer. 12, learn the differences between clean and messy code. Ooh. I mean, this is a concept that um, I never had when I started, right? I didn't know what a clean piece of code was versus what a messy piece of code was. I, I didn't understand because, hey, I didn't understand what a what a you know the the various control flows were because i was just learning because i was just starting out but learning learning clean lean mean code is is vital because you you learn how to do things differently you learn how to make things more readable uh, the team members around you will be more appreciative of this 
uh, if you can be part of pull requests, and even if you're not commenting on pull requests, read the comments of previous pull requests. Find how your team operates. But in terms of clean and messy code, you want to identify the areas that make code messy, as well as how to address those. Now, this is this is all well and good when you're a senior dev, but when you're a junior dev, this can get quite troublesome because when you know how to clean up code, the uh, it's very tempting to just do it, right? It's, <laughs> but because you're perhaps very new to the to the team, you probably haven't maybe thought of all the various different entry points into that, and so. Cleaning that code up may provide elements of regression that you will need to test. And if, if you're, if you clean the code up and it's code that isn't in the scope of what you're doing, like for instance, I mean, a a large chunk of something that I do every, you know, a large chunk of what I do, I'm a contractor is, is that I would go into legacy code. And I would, um, I audit and identify areas of code to clean up, but I, I don't clean the code up until I'm not, until I've notified someone what I'm, my intentions, because there is, um, and we go back to the QA engineers and we go back to the other uh, stakeholders in this. If you make a change, you may have, you may, um, require other people to do work. And yes, the change may be for good, but in certain places, in certain scenarios, that change needs to be scoped because it's a change. It's a change request. So don't, don't just dive in. That's what I'm trying to say. Uh, so this is, this is going back to the communication part. You know, if you found some code that's messy and you want to clean it up, let someone know, let someone know what you're going to do. And this goes on to the next tip of peer programming. So, you know, jump on a call, as I mentioned before, say request meetings. So, you know, I've just found this, this uh, bunch of messy code and I would like to propose that we change it to this. What do you think? What do you think? You could even go one step further and uh, look at the annotations of Git and, and find out who wrote that code. Don't do it in a blamey time of kind of way. Just they wrote that code, so they would hopefully have some knowledge about that code, depending on how long they wrote it, of course. And then see if they can you can get them involved. Don't blame them for it. Don't point a finger at them because you don't you you at this point in time don't have an appreciation for how they or where they were when they were writing that code. They they could have had a, all sorts of constraints um, that they had to deal with, and that was the easiest thing that they could come up with at that particular point of time based on the constraints that they had. So it's, it, it should never be a, you know, a finger pointing exercise. It should be an exercise of improving the code going forward, but you want to be a part of the code reviews. You want to be part of the conversation. Um, and uh, you, you, you want to be striving for making cleaner code, but you should be doing so when you're, when you're allowed to. It sounds really weird. As a developer, you should be allowed to make your code cleaner. Sure. But in certain circumstances, without any knowledge of what regression you might be uh, putting in, uh, it's always best to check, I find. It's always best to check. Okay. 
So the next one is to learn the code styles of the team. So do they use tabs? Do they use spaces? Uh, do they prefer any sort of, sort of variable naming convention? You know, I've worked with teams that prefer things uppercase, you know, their first character uppercase. I've worked with teams where if it's an object, they have an O. Okay. So an O and then the capital object name. So if it was, um, say if it was a user object, then it would be, O user, for instance, for an object user, and A user for an array of a user, you know. So you want to learn the code styles. Now, you, you want to adapt to the code styles that you're working within. That's all I'm going to say about that. Some code styles are quite interesting, shall we say. Some places don't have a code style, and that's quite obvious. But if they do, you want to be following the convention. If you're fixing a bug and you're working within a function and you can see a particular code style, then you want to be adhering to that because the next person after you who's reading that code, they want to be, you know what you want, you want to be allowing them to read it in a very smooth, smooth way. Okay. So where are we? Go to meetups, uh, learn the difference between, yeah, we've done that. Learn code styles. Yeah, we've done that. Okay. Number 14 then is to create a portfolio and start blogging. Okay. So this is uh, super important. Even if you don't have anything to show, you still want to be creating, in my opinion, a portfolio and a blog. Um, a, the portfolio could literally just be a landing page that just says what you do. Okay. To begin with, it doesn't have to be a crazy. There's no, you don't have to go into any kind of crazy details to the projects that you've worked on. In fact, in some cases you have to sign NDAs that's you know that state that you're not allowed to mention any of these things right so check that so, um you know these this is me the, this is the skills that i know that kind of jazz uh, but have a blog attached to it and and when you're learning something new write that down it's a weird one because i can appreciate a lot of people will go well hang on a minute People have already done this before. People before me have done this before. I why do I have any skin in the game here? Why should I write a blog for other people to uh, to read? I always take the impression that, or take the take the stance that you you should be writing for yourself. Okay, so write for your past self. If your past self reads your blog, then they you'll be teaching your past self how to do what you do at the moment. And believe you me, there'll be someone out there who will be looking at this and uh, you will be improving their day. Also, you're right in thinking that uh, this has happened before. Uh, a lot of people have have written the same thing, you know. But perhaps you've done it from a very different perspective. Perhaps you've you've approached it differently. Maybe the outcome is the same. I was looking at a blog the other day and it was to do with Kubernetes. I wanted to learn something about Kubernetes uh, and they were using a very different way of deployment. Uh, I, I think they were using Helm and I wasn't, but I still, <clears throat> I still wanted to learn <clears throat> the specific parts of what I wanted to learn. So I was reading a load of other stuff that they went through to get to the point in which I was at. And then I found the solution through their blog. So what I'm trying to say is that um, you can attack, you can, you can, you can have the same problem as someone else, but attack it from a different angle, approach it from a different angle, I should say, um, and come out with a, a similar outcome. It's very, very useful. And um, also when you start blogging a lot, you'll often find your own blog articles in search engines. Now this, I don't, I don't mean to blow my own trumpet here, but 
you forget a lot of stuff as a dev. There's a lot of stuff to remember and there's a lot of stuff to forget. And there's a lot of stuff that <clears throat> perhaps I will forget. And then I'll Google and I'll come back and it'll come, it'll, it'll, it'll uh, come up with my blog. And it's the article that I created for that particular thing. So I use blogging like notes, basically my notes to myself. And if anybody, f- and if, if uh, anybody uh, f- has any use from that, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. Okay, so create a portfolio and uh, and blog. And with your portfolio, as I said, when you start off, there isn't really much you can put on your portfolio apart from, you know, who you are, what you've learned, uh, what skills you've got, that kind of thing. As you start progressing, maybe you're doing some side projects, and we'll get onto that in a minute. You could start putting your side projects down in a in a portfolio uh, if you if you if you would like. And I suppose it really depends on where you want to go in your career. Uh, portfolio is very useful for when you want to be a freelancer. Not so much perhaps when you're steady full-time uh, employment because your portfolio, when you're in a freelancer stroke contractor, that becomes your, your digital resume, shall I say. You know, this is, this is the stuff that you've worked on previously. Um, these are the skills that I know, that kind of stuff. Whereas when you're a full-time dev, it's mostly your CV uh, and the names of the companies you've worked for previously. Anywho, we'll get on to a lot of that stuff uh, soon. Okay, so number 15 then is go full-time first before doing contracting and working and work for a well-known company. Okay, so I'm going to say contracting stroke freelance there. There's many differences, obviously, but one of the major differences between full-time and uh, freelance work is that when you're freelance, it's just you. When you're a full-time dev, you're working with a team of developers there's a structure, there is a hierarchy, there's a process. All of those things are all in play. When you're a freelancer, you're on your own. You have to come up with all of those things on your own. You become a businessman, you become a an engineer, a developer, a marketeer, an accountant, all sorts of things, all wearing all sorts of hats when you're when you're a freelancer. And when you're first starting out as a junior dev, I recommend, highly recommend uh, working full-time first. It sounds odd, but you almost want to be using those positions as a as a sort of a test the waters, trial and error kind of thing. You're going to be making a lot of mistakes when you're a junior dev. Uh, and when you're a junior dev, you want to be doing those mistakes in a safer environment than on your own. So as a junior dev, for instance, I've destroyed production. I've destroyed... Uh, uh, servers. I've destroyed all sorts of stuff. Um, as a junior dev, I started learning Linux. As a junior dev, I, I ruined a lot of things. And I was able to do that in the safety of the the team that I was in, right? When you're a freelancer, it's your responsibility. You've got to clean that mess up. I mean, it's your responsibility when you you know, when you mess up in a in a full-time position, but <clears throat> but you don't have the support around you. That's what I'm trying to say here. So see full-time positions as as a support network, essentially. And you also get an understanding for how large teams work, which is great. Because another tip, I think it's somewhere down here. I'll pick it up in a minute. Another tip is to work on both full large companies, you know, large, large companies, um, and also small companies. You want to have that diverse sort of, appreciation of how different it is when you have to go through all sorts of rigmarole in a large 
large company, a large team um, versus a small shoot from the hip, uh, get it out the door as quick as we can, but done well team, you know, a startup essentially. Uh, it's it's and then and then try and have some positions in between that and do those full time as well, because you get a very, very uh, interesting experience from each one of those and every team I've worked on big and small is very different, very unique and it's great. And it's great. Uh, and you know, certain things are done well, certain things aren't done. So not, not so well. And, and, and there's scope for improvement. It's great. But when you're a, f- when you're on your own and you're a freelancer, that's it. You've got no support network. It's just you. So yeah, you might be coming to web development thinking that you can do the, all of this stuff as a freelancer, um, and you, you'll one day you'll have your own, you'll, you'll, you'll have your own business and stuff. And yeah, please do have that aspiration. But when you're starting out, know that it's tough and look at using full-time positions as, as your safety net, essentially for, for learning and developing your own skills. And then when you get to a point, you feel more comfortable with your own abilities, then make the jump. Also, whilst you're in a full-time position, do side projects that amount to freelance. Uh, that's how I did it. So I was a full-time dev and I had freelance work on the side. You know, I didn't have enough freelance work on the side to be a full-time dev, uh, you know, a full-time freelancer, but I had that coming in and I was able to build up my reputation as it, as it goes. So number 16 is learn what a technical, learn what technical debt is, um, learn how to identify it and make proposals to remove it. So this kind of goes hand in hand with the, um, the messy code versus clean code stuff. So you want to be able to identify technical debt in the, in the code base that you're working on, and you want to be making proposals on how to clean that up. This shows that you're willing and you're passionate for improving the code base going forward, not just for you, but for your other team members as well. Number 17 is to learn to communicate to non-engineers. <laughs> non-engineers. So I mentioned earlier about uh, product owners and, and stuff. There are other air people who are not, um, I haven't, I haven't mentioned here, but other areas of different departments, different people that perhaps you can, uh, you, you'll be talking to on a daily basis. Maybe even the client, maybe you'll be talking to a, cl- the, the end user, the client. So you want to learn how, and this is a skill that, um, I'm still developing and that is how you can, Talk about the technicalities of the thing that you do, but in a way that makes sense to someone who doesn't do it every day. So they have a level of pre- of appreciation of what you do, but you don't have to go. You don't have to go all you know all out on it. You don't have to um, scare them off. <laughs> but it's a way of explaining. Maybe if they maybe if they don't understand something, it's a way of explaining it to them in a way that makes sense to them that's the whole point here is to is to uh talk about software in a way that makes sense to the end user or another party another actor to get your point across as a programmer but in a way that makes sense to the end user to to them okay so that was number 17 number 18 then show loyalty when something goes down it's time for you to step up and increase your reputation (laughs) <laughs> so what I do, I, you probably noticed what I do with these things when I do these lists is I just write a line for each one and then I talk around it. 
So uh, show your loyalty when something goes down. So what I'm saying is when things break, when things go down, maybe it's not your fault. Maybe it is. But it's kind of you want to be jumping on that, you know, helping out where you can. Obviously, don't get in the way, but you want to be if if you're able to shed light on something, um, then you can do so. Often what happens when someone mentions something that something's gone wrong, I would be in the background searching for various things. I If I was to be brought into a meeting and it wasn't necessarily my work, uh, however, I had access to the code base. And if someone asked a question and everyone was like, oh, I don't know, I don't know, I would have a look in the code base and say, well, I haven't worked on this, but I can see X, Y, Z. Don't take this as gospel, but I can see this. You know, that that shows that you are keen and willing and loyal. It also shows you have a, a reputation for trying to achieve the common goal, which is great. But 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 try and do it in a way that isn't getting in the way of of the people who are actually trying to solve the problem, right? So offer your assistance, but don't ram it down people's throats. <laughs> mm. This is a, a really nice beer. It's going down very well. Okay, so we've done uh, communicating to uh, non-engineers. We've done show loyalty when something goes down. And also, okay, when you leave, so this is when you're leaving for for another career. So I don't like leaving work. I don't like leaving a company in a in a bad state i i prefer to leave with the door wide open so they you it's that saying of leave them wanting more you know so i i try not to leave a company in a well as a contractor i don't leave a company in a worse state than where i when i started but i tr- you know if 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 a project is is overrunning and it's time for me to go then if there was any if there was an opportunity to continue and it fit in my space then i would consider continuing to see it through and also you want to be building bridges rather than removing bridges so everyone every every team that i've worked on worked with in the past many years shall we say i've always i've enjoyed and i've appreciated don't think that there's ever been a, a a team in which I wouldn't work for any again, you know, uh, just because I haven't, f- I've built a rapport with people. And I think that's really important as a contractor. I am perhaps seen more as a resource than an actual, you know, a full-time employee who is, you know, uh, part of the furniture, shall we say. But at the same time, even though I am a resource, I want to show that I am loyal, keen and willing, and I do want to improve the company moving forward. And therefore, I I don't really know what I'm trying to say here. Basically, don't leave the comp leave your company in a mess. Don't don't leave with any hostility. Don't you you know you want to try and make as many friends as you can. Don't leave with any grudges. You know. It's uh, it, 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 this this is all about your reputation as a, as a contractor. I am my own brand. So when a, and it's funny, the amount of contracts that I've had where I've worked with the same developers, even though we didn't know that they were working there, it would be like, oh, hey, <laughs> haven't seen you in three months or six months, um, <laughs> which is nice because, y- you know, you get to build up a rapport with the other developers and maybe you've worked with a similar developer on another team that, you know, it, it, that's nice. 
so you don't want to be looking to pick fights. I see work as a social thing. We do, we, we do a lot of work, you know, the time that we, we work is huge. It's like eight hours a day, right? So you want to be enjoying that work. You don't want to be, uh, you, you don't want to be scripts pissing anyone off. You don't, you know what I mean? You, you, you want to have fun. You want to enjoy it. Okay. <laughs> I don't really know where I was going with that. Number 20 is uh, you're never too old to learn. You're never too old to learn. I, I think it's, uh, I think, I think when people say, you know, I'm too old to learn this or that, it's a bit worrying because it's like, there's so many things of web development that I just don't know. And I'm, I'm old, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm 36. So there's a lot of stuff that I'm, I don't, haven't done. You know, I'm pushing, I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm now in the direction of going into my 40s, right? So, and there's a lot of stuff. There's even a lot of stuff to do with CSS that I don't know. There's there's stuff that I don't know about in terms of, yeah, just dif different operating systems. You know, I, I'm now working on Windows and I'm like, and I, I haven't worked on Windows for years. And I'm trying to, I'm having to relearn Windows, the operating system, navigating around the crazy file structure and stuff. Um yeah, so you're never too too old to learn, I don't think. Okay, number 21 is switching languages. As a junior dev, I think it's important that when you feel comfortable enough and and this is the thing, you need to you need to know when you feel comfortable enough, but when you feel comfortable enough that you know a programming language, switch to something else. Learn something else. Um if you do uh JavaScript, switch to Python or PHP or something else, you know, Ruby, Go, because you get an idea for how that programming language works and how the differences between your misconceptions, perhaps, of what programming languages are in, in, in a general sense. You know, if you're a JavaScript dev and you go straight to something like Go or C, then you've got problems with, say, um, all sorts of, all sorts of different complexities, shall we say. So having that, having that ability of learning multiple languages. So I know a, a fair amount of programming languages and I find that when I learn another programming language, it gets easier because I have been, I'm able to bring the experience of the previous programming languages with me. And if you're very new to programming, there are various different uh, concepts of programming that are very generic to every programming language. It's very, you know, it's a transferable skill programming. Not all of it, obviously. Um, and there are certain things that are specific to certain programming languages, of course. If once you know an if statement, you can write an if statement all over the place, right? Well, that's what I'm trying to say. Maybe the syntax different, but you know the logical flow, you know, a function. Okay, so maybe a function is called something different in Python than it is in, um, you know, declared differently in Python than it is in PHP or it, that it is in JavaScript. But you know what a function is, right? That kind of stuff. So you want to learn those concepts and learn them well. And then when you have, when you feel comfortable that you know a particular programming language, you want to switch it. You want to switch that programming language. And I would say switch that programming language more than switch the framework. Um, because I think you'll, you'll gain better knowledge from switching a, a programming language to changing to the next hotness of framework so number 22 is to listen to podcasts so 
when you're watching tutorials and and doing courses and stuff, you're very focused and dialed in on the thing that you do, you know, the, the thing that you're learning. But with podcasts, you can put them in the background and you can you can passively learn and listen. And there are various podcasts that I listen to, and some of them talk about their day, you know, as a as a programmer. Uh, some of them talk about tech news. Um, so that's the way I, I get my tech news. And some of them talk about the changes in the environment of web development software. And so you get a, a finger on the pulse kind of approach, which is nice. And you can you can have it in the background running. And I, I find podcasts are, are a really great way to um, to learn about software without looking at a screen. So podcasts are a podcasts are a, a great way to learn about software development without actually looking at a screen. That's that's the beauty of podcasts. Okay, so where are we now? We're on number twenty three, and that is to build a network. So when you're moving from company to company, you want to be building a network of people. Uh, as I mentioned, there are some uh, contractors that I know, and we've worked together in various different projects. That is that is a awesome. That's a mini network of people that I know. I know how they work. They know how I work. I know how to make them laugh. They know how to make me laugh. Also, with the uh, the startups, that's a really good one to um, if you if you're uh, if you do a bit of startups. Um, if you're working with startups, get to know the owners of those. You know, they may have ideas and stuff that they want freelancers to 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 do in the future. You want to, as I said, you want to be keeping those doors open. You don't want to be closing any doors, um, burning any bridges when you when you when you leave a company. Uh, number twenty four kind of f uh, fits into that. So st um, work for a startup as well as a big company. When you're a junior, you want to. Uh, I think I've already mentioned this. You want to learn the various dif the, the differences between large companies and small companies, how they work, how they operate, how they deploy, how they test how they um how they do things how they have meetings it's all very different it's all very different also uh number 25 is in my opinion now this is very opinionated as a junior developer don't do remote working first if you can help it uh, i know that remote working is a very sort of sought after thing but in my experience it's best to be around the developers who are better than you who are more senior than you. I should say more senior than better. I think that's probably a, a better way of saying that more senior than you who've had more experience than you. It's weird. I, I, it's almost like you can absorb their, their knowledge easier when they are stood by you, right. Than 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 being remote. It's it, there's, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of negative things with being remote that, if if you don't identify as a junior developer you can you can fall into these kind of traps like for instance if you're a remote dev sometimes it's tempting to get just go offline or uh if you're stuck on a bug it's tempting not to uh make that known uh it's tempting just to just to be a bit of a hermit and uh and work on your small little project. And by the end of the week, someone's going to be asking you, you know, where it is. And if you say you haven't, you haven't done X, Y, Z, then, then you get, you know, if you haven't mentioned that, 
in the in the days prior <laughs> it's very tempting to not say the things that are wrong that's what i'm trying to say uh, and hide behind the screen whereas when you're in a team in a building then it's easier to not hide <laughs> because the thing is these these are uh, these teams these um these zooms these meetings these online meetings there is there is a, a it's a weird culture it's like um you know you have to unmute yourself that's weird isn't it it's, it's, you don't go to a meeting with a mask i mean you do now because of covid of course but you, do you know what i mean you don't you don't go into a meeting and you don't just put your hand up and say can i speak but you do when you're on a zoom so yeah <laughs> odd okay so so number 26 this is the last one then Number 26 is learn how to debug, get the logs and become a detective. So a lot of the things that we do, we have to do it in a very sort of detective kind of way. We have to root through all the code. We have to go through all the history. We have to speak to all sorts of people about the decisions that were made. We have to understand the, um, the end users requirements. We have to uh, learn, you know, all sorts about the background of the project. And we also need to to know where to look when things go wrong, right? So you need to know where the log files are. You need to know how the, how things are being monitored and set up. Uh, those things are very, 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 very important to know. They will help you improve as a developer. So that's 26. Now I've, I've probably mentioned a, a lot more as we've got, gone through, but, um, and I can think of a couple already, but I'll need to formulate that. Those, uh, so I might do another list like this in the future. If you can think of any ones that I haven't mentioned, if you want to, if you think there's some that um, I should talk about in the future, or if if you just you know things that I've forgotten, perhaps, then do let me know. Put them down in the comment section below. I would really appreciate that. Let's continue the discussion. Um, it's not a one-sided thing. So this is a podcast. This will be going out next Friday on uh, the podcast players. So if you're listening to Spotify or iTunes or anything like that, you can search for how to code well, the podcast tomorrow is going to be last week's episode, which is 106. And that's all about PHP roadmap. I've created a PHP roadmap for, uh, for PHP developers to learn various PHP concepts and things. And that will be out tomorrow at 7 a.m. at British summertime, as it is, always is on a, on a Friday. So I do these live streams sort of a week in advance. So anyway, thank you ever so much for watching. Happy coding, everyone. And uh, have a fantastic week. And if I don't speak to you beforehand on Twitter or on Discord, then um, I hope to see you on Sunday on Twitch at 14.30 British summertime. Take care, everyone, and I'll see you again soon. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.